We're going to be over in the book of Jeremiah today. If you want, you can go over to Jeremiah 36 or just look up on the screen. We'll just review a few things we have in the, covered in the previous weeks. Bishop Philip Brooks, uh, Brooks was the author of A Little Town of Bethlehem, and he was seriously ill, and he requested no friends would come to him at all. But when an acquaintance named of Robert Ingersoll, he was a famous anti-Christian propagandist, came to see him, he allowed him to come right in. So Ingersoll said, he said, I, I really appreciate this very much, especially since you're not seeing a lot of your close, or any of your close friends. And um, Brooks responded, he says, oh, I'm confident I'll be seeing them in the next world, but this may be my last chance to see you. <laughs> Boy, sometimes, you know, people just don't get the message, do they? They don't understand that the, the Word of God has come. And here in Jeremiah, we reach a bunch of people who the Word of God came to and they did not listen. But we're going to take a look at this in the area of becoming doubters and the area of confession because we've been looking at the principles of confession. Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24. Have the faith of God. Have the God kind of faith. For whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will come to be. He will have whatever it is that he says. So we need to say some things. We need to speak to some things. We need to make sure we don't doubt in our heart. When last week we looked at doubts in our heart. What's the difference between doubts in my head and doubts in our heart? Because we all wrestle with doubts in our heads, don't we? But there's not a problem with doubts in our head. The problem is doubts in our heart. So we spent some time in the Word of God looking at the difference between doubting in our heart and doubting in our head. So that by the time we got finished, we hope that all of you had the idea of what it was to doubt in your heart or doubt in your head. That a doubt in your head is just thoughts that come to your mind. But a doubt in your heart is one that you put voice to. There is a difference when you put a voice to a doubt and you begin to speak to things. We looked at examples in the Word of God when people began to do that. Make sure that you don't get to that spot. Mark chapter 5 was one of the places we looked and we saw Jairus and we saw the things that came to him, the, the, the change in report, and he could have put voice to the thoughts in his head and Jesus stopped him. Jesus was very concerned with the thoughts, with the words that would come out of his mouth right then. He didn't try and stop the thoughts. He tried to stop the words. Before he had a chance to speak, Jesus interrupted. Jesus got in there. So it's important for us to understand that. Put this in your outline too. Well, in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your heart is not speaking out of the abundance of your head. Your mouth speaks out of the abundance of your heart. That's what it speaks from. So when you start speaking something, you can tell that a doubt has gone from a doubt in your head to a doubt in your heart. And that's where you have an issue. That's where you have a problem. So we spoke about that last time. But this time we actually announced this to you last week, what we were going to get into. And, you know, I always let God just you know, frame the, the thing here as we, we put it together and, and see where we go. And we're actually... Um, covering a little more area than I thought we were going to, to get into. But in Jeremiah, chapter 36, we're going to look at chapter 36, 37, and 38. How many of y'all enjoy the book of Jeremiah? In these three chapters, we are going to give you probably, a, a, a hopefully anyway, a real good overview of what Jeremiah is all about. He's not just, you know, somebody who's out there, you know, um, sad and lamenting and all that sort of stuff. 
in this, these three chapters, you're going to get a real good idea of what Jeremiah is all about. And I hope that from that you're going home and you'll read the whole thing. In a different light. And don't say, man, read the whole thing. Yeah, read the whole You can go home right now and just read the whole thing. I'll prove it to you. I will prove to you by the time this is over that you can go home right now and read the whole thing. How many, how many bet I can prove that to you? Now, the only way I can prove that to you is in the Bible, isn't it? I can prove, believe me this, I can prove to you in the Bible that you can go home right now and read the book of Jeremiah. Can you believe I can do that from the Bible? <laughs> in Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 1, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, Jeremiah writes out all the words that have been spoken against Judah because he's told to by God. God in this one, he says, I want you to sit on down. I want you to write out all the words. All the words that have been spoken against Judah, against Israel, and against all the nations. Judah, Israel, and all the nations. Verse 1, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations. From the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I pur purposed to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, and I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Now, if you were here on Wednesday night, we talked about predestination. How many have ever, you know, are intrigued about the idea of predestination? We spent some time with it on, on there. But as we've always told you, if there's any doctrine in the Word of God that you were to live your life by, it is taught and it is, what's the second one? Exemplified, demonstrated. It's, it's in there. So if predestination is such a big doctrine, wouldn't you think that somewhere it would be demonstrated? And yet nowhere do we find it demonstrated the way most people taught it. So we spent time on Wednesday night and we went through and we saw, uh, we, we looked at, I think, six or seven examples in the Word of God of predestination in, in, in operation. In operation. You can actually see it working. Can you believe that? In the Word of God. See predestination in operation working as God intended it and as God did it. But take a look at this. This is just in that, along those uh, lines here. Verse 3. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Now, if it was predestined, because people have taught that it is predestined that some people are saved and some people are not. Isn't that right? If it is predestined by God, who's saved and who's not, then why in the world does God put verse 3 in here? There is absolutely no reason for verse 3 if that doctrine is true. Can't be. Because God would already know, and it, oh, I've already, I've already sectioned you guys out for hell. So, but He says, "No, you know what? I'm, we've we've spoken these words to Him. But I tell you what, I want you to do this. I want you to write down all the words that I've given you. Write them all down in a scroll. And you know they didn't have word processors. They had to sit there and write it. And He had to sit there and, and speak it. And He had a guy who out there wrote it out for Him. And I want you to write it all out, every single one of them." Everyone, everyone, get them all. I want all the ones for Israel, Judah, all, any nation, write them all down. And so he did that. You know, it might just, and how would you like to do this? Write the whole, all these things down, because it, it may just be. It might just happen. How many of you, how many, how many of y'all love playing, preparing income tax? Oh, I saw the faces. Oh, man. We don't like preparing income tax. I hate doing income tax. Oh, it's one of those things that, ugh, you just don't like it. 
right? How many of you would go through all of that to prepare your income taxes if the government said, it may just be that we'll give you a refund? How many would do it? (laughs) It may just be that if you fill out all this paperwork and send it in, we might just give you a refund. You do it because you know it, right? But Jeremiah has to write out all these words because God said, it may just be that they might repent if they see it all. Oh, dear. That's an awful lot of writing. Well, let's go on back to the to the beginning here. I want you to understand this. Jeremiah began his ministry during King Josiah's time frame. Josiah was a good king. And under Josiah, we had a lot of repentance, a lot of things went on. And, uh, and God said, all right, all the words that you heard about this book that said pronounce judgment, it's going to happen. And in this environment, Jeremiah comes to, comes to uh, become the prophet there. And so he prophesies under Josiah and all the succeeding kings up until uh, Jerusalem is destroyed. That's his uh, time frame. I am told that for as far as the time frame goes, that he uh, ministers for about 40 years. It's about 40 years. But let's go on back to Jeremiah chapter 1. Right on at the beginning. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priest who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. In the thirteenth year of his reign, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So this is the time frame here. Again, it's forty years. About 40 years that people believe that, that it was his total ministry was. But during this time, here is the, the uh, setting, the environment that is here. You have Israel, uh, Israel has fallen and you have Judah in the southern kingdom. Down below Judah, you have a nation called Egypt. Anybody heard of Egypt recently? <laughs> to the, to the uh, north and west, you have the territory of Babylon. Now, Egypt has been a ruling power, but Babylon is on the rise. They are rising up. They are becoming, becoming strong. And they are actually going to become the, the next kingdom, the next world ruler that would be over the, the earth. But right now you have the clash of the two big powers. You have Egypt down south and east. And then you have Babylon, which is north and west. So if you just picture this. North and west, south and east. You are smacking the... You're right there in the middle. So you got... Egypt, which wants to defeat Babylon, and Babylon, which wants to defeat Egypt. And you are in the middle. And pretty much you are a peon. No one really cares a whole lot. I mean, you got some power, but not a whole lot. And Babylon isn't uh, too concerned about you. They're just going to come over and, and conquer you. Egypt, uh, you know, they, they've been a help sometimes, but not always. And, and so this is the environment that he comes into. And... In Jeremiah chapter 36, 37, 38, we come upon a situation where Babylon is laying siege against Jerusalem. They built a siege wall. They're attacking. They're going to tear this city down. They're going to conquer this thing. But they have not yet taken Egypt out of the picture. Now, back before, when we have um, Josiah as king, do you remember how Josiah died? He died in battle. Against what nation? Testing your Old Testament knowledge here. You can just answer inside yourself. But against the nation of Egypt. Because Egypt wanted to pass by Israel on their way to fight a battle with Babylon. 
And for some reason, Josiah just rose up and said, you're not going to do it. You're actually coming over here to take me on. And uh, we're not going to have that. We're going to come out and get you. And he and he implored him. The Pharaoh implored him. said, no, don't do it. I'm on a mission from God. You know, you need to need to stay there. I'm not coming to get you. But anyway, Josiah came on out and attacked him, lost the battle, lost his life. And that put Israel under the reign of Egypt. And so when they come on down, they uh, they uh, after Josiah dies, the Pharaoh of Egypt actually picks the next king. And so he puts this king over top of, uh, over Judah. I'm not sure what made him pick this particular guy, but they, they picked somebody who was in the heritage of, of there and, and he was supposed to be loyal to Egypt and, you know, he wasn't. And they had other problems that were, were going on, but let's get on back over to Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 4. Then Jeremiah called Barosh, the son of Neriah, and Barosh wrote on the scroll of a book, at the instruction of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is not going to write all this. He's got a guy to do it. All the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the, to the house of the Lord. You go therefore and read from the scroll which you have written at my instructions. The words of the Lord and the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting. So he wrote all this stuff down. But he said, instead of me going, I want you to go. You go into the house of the Lord and you read the book. And you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from other cities. It may be, same word that, that Jesus used, or that, that God used here, right? It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against this people. Now, let's just think back over here to the days, days of Josiah. When the word of the Lord came and Josiah repented and the prophet came up and said to Jeremiah, I am pleased with all this repentance. I am going to re- relent on my anger, and you won't be destroyed. Is that what he said? The prophet came in and said, all the words of the book, they're going to happen. But because of this, I won't do it in your lifetime. That's all they got. So the judgment on Israel was coming. That was back in Josiah's day. They have since done more evil things. I don't think uh, anything is going to change on that. Verse 8. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to the, all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the house, in the Lord's house. Now it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. Then Baruch read from the book of the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house and the hearing of all the people. So they get up there and they read all this and all these people are sitting there and they name some of the higher ups and some of the authorities that are there. And it's jumbled down to verse 10. Then Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the hearing of the people. So he came on back and he proclaimed it to others. Therefore all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of Nathaniel, and the son of Shalemiah, son of Cushai, to Barak, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, Sit down now and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. Now it happened when they heard all the words that they looked in fear from one to another and said to Baruch, We will surely tell the king all these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how did you write all these words at his instruction? So Baruch answered and said, he proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then the princess said to Baruch, Go and hide, Jew and Jeremiah, and let no one 
know where you are. So he's, he read it first off in the hearing of all the people and some of the higher-ups heard that and so they went and they proclaimed it to others and they said, we want to hear it. And so they came on in and they, he read it again to all these people and said, all right, we've we got to take this to the king. You gotta take this to the king. So, but you guys go. You guys go and hide. Take the scroll with you. And we'll call for you. And they went to the king and to the court, but they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishama, the scribe chamber, and Jehudai read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside their king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. How many that sounds pretty good today? And it happened when Jehudai had read three or four columns that the king cut it with a scribe's knife and cast it into the fire and was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the earth, on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words. So they, re- they listened to all the words that were spoken in the scroll. All the words against Israel, all the words against Judah, all the words against other nations. And he was just nonchalant about it. After he got done three or four columns, he just cut it off and threw it into the fire. And he's just sitting there eating and enjoying the fire and just no, no repentance at all. No problem with this at all. He heard all the words and it affected him not the least bit. That's not quite the impact that they wanted, was it? Because right now it had looked pretty good. We read in all the people and they were, uh, they were excited about repenting. And then we took it to some of the leaders and well, they were excited about taking it to the king that hey, maybe we can get everybody in here to repent. And, uh, and that didn't happen. And instead, the scroll, they worked pretty hard on it. Writing down all those words. I mean, come on, this is not easy to do. This is not a ballpoint pen. This is one of the ones you got to dip into the ink and then write. And then when it runs out, you got to dip it some more and then write. And it takes some time. And it's all burned up. I mean, can you imagine coming back to Jeremiah? Where's the scroll? Um, well... <laughs> Something happened. Verse 27, Now after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Take yet another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had has burned. And you shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus says the Lord, You have burned this scroll saying, Why have you written in it the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause men and beasts to, get to to cease from here. So before we finish this, again, he, he uh, gets the command from God. All right, the first one got burned up. Write another one. I mean, if I'm Jeremiah, I'm thinking it wasn't my fault. I mean, to get the people responsible for burning the first one up, get them to write it. But he didn't do it. He said, no, no, I want you to write another one. Now, the first one, they read to all the people in the temple, right? They went into the Lord's, Lord's house and they read it all. And they were so impressed with it. Some of them came on out and they got some of the other leaders and they said, come on over here to this group and read it again. And so they came over to that group and read it again. And then they sat there and read it to the king while the fire was going on. Read the whole book. Do you know what book it was? The book of Jeremiah. What is the book of Jeremiah? Is not the book of Jeremiah a collection? of the words that were written to Israel, to Judah, and to the other nations. So see, you can go home. I told you I'd prove it to you from the Word of God. Three times it was read in one sitting. So you can go on home and read the whole thing in one sitting. Now there's a few extra stories in there. I'll give you some a little extra lecture light. But you can certainly go on home and read them, plus the extra stories. 
that are written in there help you out? And they sat there and they listened to him. For some people, it caused a change. For some people, they caused them to burn it in fire. But he said, go write another one. Write another one down. We want to have another one. And so he did it. Verse 30. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He shall have no one to sit on the throne of David. And his dead body shall be cast out into the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will punish him, his family and his servants, for their iniquity. And I will bring on them on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on all the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them. But they did not heed. They did not heed. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch, the scribe and the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them many similar words. So even some more were even added in on, on that one. Go on over with me, if you would, over to Second Kings. I wanted to show this to you before and skipped over it. Second Kings, chapter 23, verse 20-23. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. So again, Jeremiah came in about the 13th year of, of, uh, of his reign and about the 18th year is when we have this Passover. So by the time of this Passover, Jeremiah had been ministering as a prophet for about five years. Moreover, Josiah put away all those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods, the idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him any did, did any arise like him. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath for which he his anger was aroused against Judah because all the provocation with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and I will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen to the, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In the days of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates and King Josiah went against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, made him king in his father's place. Verse 31, Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned three months. Not very long, huh? Verse 32, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Ribla in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and talents of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And that's how we have Jehoiakim coming to the throne. So it seems that Pharaoh went on and had the battle with Babylon, came on back, saw this new guy in there as king, and said, I don't want him, and put his own guy in there instead. Still a descendant of Josiah. Verse 35, So Jehoiakim Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh, and he exacted silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Roma, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. 
Not a real good time for all this, but uh, Neko is being paid now. He's getting tribute money, and so he's letting them exist as an entity, as a, as a nation. Uh, and he picks the king, but you're going to give me so much money. And so they're indebted to him. And uh, verse 1 of chapter 24, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, and the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the command commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. And he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. So here's what's going on. Egypt had defeated Josiah, killed him, and then came on back, put their own guy in place instead of the guy that Israel had put in place, and they were exacting money from them. Then Babylon comes down because the battle is between Egypt and Babylon. Babylon wants to be the new ruler of the world. Egypt wants to maintain being the ruler of the world. And so this battle is going on, and right now Egypt is getting money from Israel. But as long as the siege is there against Babylon, guess what? They're not getting any money. So if you were Egypt and someone who was paying you a lot of money every year was under siege, what would you do? Now, it's by a nation, Babylon, that you have a battle with and you want to establish, you're not ready to yield supremacy of the world to Babylon just yet. You want to maintain that supremacy and you have not lost completely to this, this one that's the battle going forth. You know, they have some wins and losses and, and things that happen. And it says in verse 7 that the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Now that's important to note that the king of Egypt didn't come out against them anymore. Now with that, I want you to head on back over. We are going to um, take a look at uh, verse 1 in chapter 37. Jeremiah, the 37th chapter. Now again in chapter 36, we had the scroll that was read in the, in the house of the king. The scroll was read in the king's house to the leaders and then it was brought to the king and that's the guy who burned it. Are the things that the king is hearing changing his beliefs? No, I mean, if you're going to burn the scroll, you're not really going to believe it, are you? So it's not changing his belief, but he's hearing it, isn't he? So if he's not changing his belief, he must be believing something else. What is it that he's believing? What kind of things do you think he was saying when this was being written or after it was read? What was he saying while it was being read? What do you think he said after it was being read? What kind of things came out of his mouth? Did you hear that? Babylon's going to come up. No, Babylon's not going to come up. We've got Egypt over here to help us out. And Egypt's going to come on over. And when they see us and Egypt together, they're going to head on back home. They're not going to... No, that's not going to be what's going to go on. So we're going to head on over to... Uh, Jeremiah 37. Now the king Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. So a power switch had, had gone on here. And Nebuchadnezzar was now picking the king. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land gave heed to the words of the Lord, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. And Zedekiah the king sent Jeho Jehukel, the son of Shulamiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah. 
the priest to the prophet Jeremiah saying, pray now to the Lord our God for us. Interesting, isn't it? They didn't listen to the words of the book. They didn't listen to the words of there. But now, uh, let's go get Jeremiah. Pray now to the Lord our God for us. Now, Jeremiah was coming and going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. Then Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt, and when the Chaldeans who were besieging uh, Jerusalem heard news of them, they departed from Jerusalem. So what you had was you had a king that was picked this time by Babylon, but they decided to rebel against Babylon. And so Babylon came down again and besieged the city. But now there's a report that Egypt has gotten more power and wants to come back and assert themselves against Babylon. And what better place to do it than beat up, uh, have all the war fought in the nation of Israel, then your own country is saved. Who cares that Jerusalem gets beat up in the process, right? Let's go up there into Jerusalem. Let's go up there in Judea. And let's have the battle that's there. And so word comes that Egypt is coming up and that Babylon during this siege is going to have to encounter Egypt. And so what happens to us, Egypt or um, uh, Babylon pulls away from the siege against the city that had rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar because they had picked the king that they had. So they pulled away from the siege to get ready to confront Egypt. And so Jeremiah has this word for them. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you, will return to Egypt to their own land. Apparently somehow they chickened out. They never encountered the Babylonians. They never engaged them in battle. So the, the word from the prophet is this. You're seeing some stuff and you're drawing conclusions. What you're seeing is that the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh of Egypt, is going to come up and help you out. And that the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he's going to go away. And you're thinking that your troubles are all gone. But he says, don't buy it. Don't buy into what you see. Isn't that what he's saying? What is he telling them to do? Doubt what you see. Become a doubter of the circumstances that you are right now seeing. It's not going to be that way. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you, will return to Egypt to their own land. The reason that they've come up to help was they want that tribute money. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord. Do not deceive yourselves, saying the Chaldeans will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. For though you had defeated the... Whole, this is a wonderful verse. One of those refrigerator ones. For though you have defeated the whole army of Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remained only wounded men among them, they would rise up, every man in his tent, and burn the city with fire. <laughs> in other words, he says, no matter how good you think the battle is going for you, you've lost. No matter what you see, it's over. I don't care if you defeat them ten times and there's only a handful of wounded people out there, they are going to come back and defeat you and burn the city with fire. There's not much room for interpretation on that, is there? This is how it's going to be. Verse, thir uh, verse 11. And it happened when the armies of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to claim his property. Because if you read the whole book, you find out he bought some. God told him to buy some. A captain of the guard was there whose name was Urijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, and he sees Jeremiah. Boy, they, they like these ayahs, don't they? 
the prophet saying, you are defecting to the Chaldeans. Then Jeremiah said, false, I am not defecting to the Chaldeans, but he did not listen to him. So Uriah seized Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Therefore, the princes were angry with Jeremiah and they struck him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. Now, how many, what kind of houses these guys have? I don't know, because we've got a number of houses that are turned into prisons. Could you turn your house into a prison? I don't know what it is. And, and they're nasty prisons too. Who builds a basement like this? He's a scribe. He's got a basement that can be, well, I don't know, family room, theater room, dungeon. And I'm just not sure which one I want to, I could, we could do them all. I mean, it kind of works for all of it here. Let's go dungeon. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want a dungeon there for? Have you got some rebellious kids? Or I don't know what it is. They when they want a dungeon in there. Well, in verse 16, when Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, that Zedekiah the king sent and took him out. And the king asked him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. <laughs> Man, I heard that one before. I was hoping for a new word, something different. Something that says, oh, I've changed my mind. If you do this, <laughs> but he didn't get that kind of word. And he says, yeah, there's a word for the Lord. Oh, good. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. One sentence. Got to be disappointed. Moreover, Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, what offense have I committed against you, against your servants or against this people that you have put me in prison? Where now are your, are your prophets who prophesied to you saying the king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land. Therefore, please hear now. Oh, my Lord, the king, please let my petition be accepted before you. And do not make me return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. Apparently, it's a pretty nasty dungeon down there and you could die. Maybe they got rats the size of lions or something. I don't know what it is. But Then Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison and that they should give him daily a piece of bread from the baker's street until all the bread in the city was gone. Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Well, whatever it was, it seems like it was an upgrade. It's the court of the prison. It's over there at the king's house and he was going to be given some bread down the other place. I mean, I guess you just fend for yourself. Whatever it was, apparently wasn't a whole lot of food that was in there and this wasn't, wasn't so good. But the prophets had come and said, oh, Babylon's going to go away. They're going to leave. And they did leave. And they said, see, see, we told you. We told you that was going to happen. And then when they came back, as Jeremiah had said, then, then uh, the king says, well, what's going on here? And let's go get Jeremiah because he's the one who said they would come back. Does the, word, does the Lord have another word for me? Yeah, you're going to die. All of you. I'm going to burn the city. Knock you all out. I'm really hoping for something a little different than that. You know, I did call you up here. I am trying to listen to the word of the Lord. Don't you have something a little bit more sympathetic? But... Uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on there, was it? Wasn't a whole lot of help. So they first off, they send out, you know, pray for us to, to Jeremiah. Why in the world do they want Jeremiah to pray for them? Well, how many people are in rebellion to God and still want people to pray for him? How many people are doing things that God has not said to do and still say, oh, you pray for me? Oh, we, how many have unsaved neighbors? No, you go to church and come over to you as soon as there's a problem. Will you pray for me? <laughs> Backslidden Christians coming up to you. Will you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray. Dear Lord, don't strike them down now. Let them live a little longer till they repent. How was that? That's not what I wanted. <laughs> Come on. Help me out here. 
Jeremiah. He's basically saying, don't believe what you see. Don't believe what you see. Jeremiah was imprisoned. And so Zedekiah calls from Israel a word from the Lord. And of course, I love Jeremiah saying, where now are your prophets? You know, where are the people that have been telling you everything's going to be okay? In chapter 38, we're going to see something. The people are caught between two opinions, mostly the king. We'll jump on down to verse uh, 2. Jeremiah's word. Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. He who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army. If you stay in the city, you could die from pestilence, from the battle, from all these other things that are come. But if you leave the city now and surrender, you won't die. Now, that's the, that's the word to the people. The word to the king was this. Oh, he'll go on. He'll tell to here. Therefore, the princess said to the king, Please let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. So what they're saying is this. The people are becoming demoralized. They, they got no reason to fight because he's got there telling them, if you don't fight and you go out there and you surrender, you'll live. So go out there and surrender. And we're losing people because some people are listening. They're going outside the city and they're, they're surrendering to the Chaldeans. And then we're not going to have anybody to fight. And then, of course, Jeremiah will have a self-fulfilled prophecy. But Jeremiah's words are not self-fulfilled prophecies. He's very specific as to what will happen. So he says, let's lock him up. So then Zedekiah, the king, said, look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. Boy, isn't that great? Here's a guy who keeps calling for Jeremiah. Uh, pray for us. Uh, is there another word for the Lord? And he said, and the king, the king says this to these guys. What can I do to stop you? Go ahead and do whatever you want. I, I can't do anything to stop you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the judging of Micaiah's, the king's son. So the king's son has a place and it's got a dungeon. What kind of people are these folks? You know, it's a... Mm. They cast him into the dungeon of Micaiah, the, the, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. So it was a dungeon of such that you, did, you didn't just walk down there, there's no steps, you let him down in ropes. And then you pull the rope up and then you let him, let him stay on down in there. And in the dungeon, sounds more like a pit to me, but in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. So you imagine this, there's no, wa no water in the place. Obviously, there's no food. And as you, you sit in there, you just keep sinking in and sinking in and sinking in. And, you know, you try and, and step out of it, but you're softening the, the mire that's there and you're sinking in even further. And it's the kind of stuff, that, you know, when you start to sink into it, it just kind of it, it moves itself around you and hardens. And then it's, it's tougher to move and you just slowly begin to sink and sink and sink. It's not mud. This is not mud. This is not mud because, you know, if somebody falls in the mud, you get them out. This is, this is, they called it mire. This is something very different. It was very much, much known what was down there, which is why they let them down in ropes. We don't want to get down there. We don't want to get into all that sort of stuff. Ugh, that's, that's nasty. Verse 7, Now Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in a dungeon. And when the king was sitting at the gate of, the, of Benjamin, 
Ebed-Melech went out to the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from the hunger in the pl place where he is at, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So this king, he's all over the place. I mean, first we want Jeremiah, want him in for a private session, and then people say we're gonna, we want to uh, throw him in the dungeon. Oh, I can't do anything to stop you. And then somebody else comes and they say, oh, we gotta get him out before he dies. Well, certainly going over there, take thirty men. Take thirty men. Why does he say take thirty guys? Because he knew what the mire was that the guy was in, and he'd been in there for a couple of days. Or at least sometimes they get sink on down. And so they come with ropes, but not just with the rope. They come and they, they get all these, they stop over at a place, you know, a little thrift store. And they get these old clothes. And they've said, they hollow down, we're going to lower you down these old clothes and take these clothes and, and put them underneath your armpits. And then wrap the rope around you. And we got 30 guys up here and we're all going to pull. But we got to make sure that as we pull with 30 guys, we don't rip your arms right off. So we need you to put these these uh, uh, clothes underneath your arms to kind of spread out the, the, the pressure we're putting on you. And 30 guys to pull one guy out of the mire. Can you get an idea of what kind of stuff he's in? Is this pleasant? How many of you would be thinking a few things about ministry? About what you want to do. <laughs> Father God, all I did was speak your word. All I, you, you told me to write the book, I wrote the book. You told me to write the book again, I wrote the book again. I read the book where you told me to read the book. I told the book to people. I, every time you gave me a word, I spoke the word. And here I am in this mire. In this dungeon. No food. No water. Just yuck. Ugh. I mean, I can't even move now. I was trying to move before and say, I can't even move. I'm just sinking in. And it's not going to be long. I'm just going to sink in all the way and I can't do anything. I'm just going to die here. How many of y'all know you have some time to think? You can put some voice to some thoughts that you're thinking. How would you like to have a ministry for 40 years and no visible evidence that anything changed? 40 years. And now you're sitting in the mire. I mean, folks, even if the Chaldeans come in, you've got to be thinking this, even if the Chaldeans come in tomorrow and burn the city and kill everybody, who's going to tell them I'm down here? This is a dungeon. It's not like there's electricity, lamps. I don't have a candle. How is anybody going to know I'm down here? And then why would they care to bring me out? Well, it's a prisoner down there. Well, he did something wrong. Let's let him die. No sense in bringing them. All of that stuff up. Well, verse uh, 14. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Now, how many think they at least let Jeremiah clean up? <laughs> kind of hope that they did. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. But he didn't say he would listen. <laughs> and then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, 
then your soul shall live. The city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender the king of the Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans. So if someone listened to Jeremiah and they went on the other side, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. But Jeremiah said, They shall not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord, which I speak to you. So it shall be well with you and your soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown to me. Now behold, all the women who are left in, in the king of the Judah house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes. And these women shall say, Your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you and your feet sunk in the mire. He's real familiar with that. And they have turned away again. So they shall surrender all your wives and children to you, the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but you shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon and you shall cause this city to be burned with fire. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, well, he just goes on. He says, all right, don't, don't let anybody know what it is that I called you in here for. If they ask you, you tell them you, this is what you wanted. Lighter sentence, you know, some bread, stuff like that. You know, sell with a window. But, you know, just don't tell them what it is that we were, we were talking about. Just just keep that between between us here. He's between two opinions. If you go on and you look at this story and the rest of Kings and the rest of Jeremiah, you're going to find out here that this guy does not listen. He does not surrender to the Chaldeans. He does not obey the voice of the Lord. He resists. And one day, they pierced through the wall. And they flooded into the city and they burned the city with fire. They killed the people that were inside, many of them. Then they went and they knocked down all the walls. Knocked down the temple. And Zedekiah decided, I'm going to get out of here. And so he, with a bunch of the, the rulers and some of his family... And they all went out and they tried to flee and to get away, but the Chaldeans caught up with them. And while he watched, they killed all his sons and they put out his eyes and they bound them and they carried them back to Babylon. He didn't listen. We go over this story for a couple of things because I want you to see that these people certainly had a belief, didn't they? They believed that the Babylonians were not going to burn their city. They were not going to take them over. They believed that Egypt was going to come and help them. They believed that all these bad things were not going to happen. How many of y'all know they were talking about it too? They were talking. They were saying stuff. I'm, I'm sure that they were saying stuff. They were going around saying, it's not going to happen. Just like they left before, they're going to leave again. It's, it, they're, going to, they're going to go. I know it's not going to happen. Because they believed that it was going to happen, then they would obey the word of Jeremiah said and go and surrender. If you go and surrender, you'll be okay. They're going around, they're saying all that stuff, they're speaking to the mountain. Babylon, you will go. <laughs> you will not have siege against our city. We will not give in to you and you will not conquer the city. I'm sure they were out there speaking stuff like that. They had prophets that were saying the same thing. Jeremiah even said, where are those prophets now? Go find them. I'm the only one who was saying they were going to come back. Go find those other guys who said they were going to leave and not come back. Go find them. Talk to them. See what they have to say. They were doing all that, weren't they? Because, folks, there's a principle of overrides. There's a principle that things 
can be overridden. One of the easiest principles we can see that is over as an override is simply the law of gravity. The law of gravity is always in operation, isn't it? But the law of gravity can be overridden. We found out that the law of lift and thrust causes the law of gravity to seemingly be suspended, even though it is still working and actually working with lift and thrust to cause a plane to fly. We find out that there's other ways that we can make our rocket ship get out of our atmosphere, get away from the effect of gravity. Wow. You overrode, the, you overrode that principle. Well, the principle of gravity, is, it never goes away. Gravity doesn't stop being in existence. It just is overridden by a higher law. There is a higher law in the Word of God. And what God says is, if you speak to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Do not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things that you say shall come to pass. You will have whatever you say. But if you try and speak to a mountain and God has said, don't speak to that mountain. And God has said, no, don't do that. This is going to be this way. Then you are in direct disobedience. And direct disobedience overrides faith. If you directly disobey a word from God, it overrides the principles of faith. You can have all the faith you want that Egypt will come to your rescue. You can have all the faith that you want that Babylon will go away. But if you directly disobey what God says, there's a problem. Now here's the thing. In the examples we've covered here and the other examples that I can think of in the Word of God, when this override kicks in, it is when the Word of God has been spoken directly about the situation that you are believing for. If I am disobedient in one area over here, my faith may still work over here. But if we go on in the Mark chapter 11, we find out that if I'm not walking in love, that that principle can override faith too. There are overrides that are in the Word of God. I've got to understand the overrides. And not just for myself. I sometimes have to look at other people and say, there's an override in operation here. And that's why that's not working. And you've got to speak to that override. You've got to speak to that, that thing that's, that's kicking in. These folks believed strongly that this calamity wasn't going to come upon them. I mean, so much so they wanted to put Jeremiah in prison. He's, he's disheartening all these people. He's making them think something that's not so. We cannot directly disobey the Word of God. If God has given you a word and He says, I want you to speak this way about this situation. I want you to believe this way. I want you to see this coming about. And I refuse and I speak something different. What will happen? There's an override. I've got to be careful about those things. Because that principle can come in and override my faith. And what I'm speaking to, it doesn't change. It doesn't change. I gotta listen to the word of the Lord and obey it. What'd you say, Father? Okay, all right, I'll do I'll go ahead and do that. I'll do it that way. Now, for some of you said, how how do I apply this to my situation? Because some of you folks, if you're believing for a healing, and the word of God comes to you and says, I want you to believe this way. I can't I can't believe that way. I I, I just I can't, I can't do that. Finances. God says, I want, you to, I want you to believe. I want you to speak this. You may not have gotten a word on it, but if you got a word, 
and that word came to you, I want you to speak this way. I want you to believe this. Really? Oh, I don't know if I can do that. And I directly disobey. Guess what? I've overridden my faith. Make sure you don't override stuff. Be obedient to God. In these three chapters, I hope you go back through and you read at least these three chapters if you don't go back through and read the book of Jeremiah. Because how many of y'all know I can do it this afternoon? Understand the importance of obedience. That if God is speaking to you about a siege against your city and you're believing in the Egyptians coming up to help, and God says, don't believe in that one. That's not happening. That's that's not coming about. Uh Uh-uh. All your confession about Egypt coming to help is not going to change the situation. You've got to listen to the voice of God. Because there are some things that can come in and they can override what's going on. Don't let the override happen. Don't give in to it. Listen to the voice of God. Now, you may not have a specific word about your situation to disobey. That's fine. Keep the, faith, keep the principles of faith going. Don't sit out there and, and, and look for, well, there must be something I did. Oh, there must be. No, it may just be that you have doubts in your heart that you're allowed to get in there and you're giving voice to them. We talked about that last week. That's probably a real common thing. Make sure you get rid of that thing. Get the doubts out. But if there's an override, if there is somehow I am disobeying God, I am directly disobeying. God has spoken to me about a thing and I'm not doing it. I'm not listening to it. Nope, nope, nope. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do No, huh? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. God may come to you and say, I want you to believe for this for this week. Oh, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I want you to believe for that this week. I want you to do that this week. We've, we finally heard, my wife and I were sitting there, we were listening to uh, uh, Brother Hagan, and he was uh, teaching on something. Oh, we've looked for the tape for this for a long time, and he was teaching it on video. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and see if he does a second one, or if they do the second one that has a follow-up to this or, or all. If not, we have still have it saved on our DVR, and we're going to put it on the DVD, and we'll show it over here on a Wednesday night. We'll come over here. But it's something that he did. It was an override principle, I think, as, as I was listening to it. I said, yeah, that's, that would have been an override because God told him, this is what you need to do. And if he would have gone against it, it wouldn't have worked for him. So we'll, we'll let you know when that's, that's out there. And uh, I have to somehow move it over to my computer and move the computer over to here. So if, um, if I can do that, we'll have it available for you. What is possible to be overriding in your life? Has God spoken to you about your situation, job situation, health situation? Has God spoken to you about it and said, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to, you need to get into, into this. You get into a health situation, folks, sometimes God will say, I want you to eat this. I want you to stop eating that. Brother Hagin used to tell us that over at, the, over at school. He said the Spirit of God would come up. He didn't, not only drank coffee, but he drank tea. And the Spirit of God just came up and said, stop drinking tea. So he listened. And then later on, the Spirit of God came in and says, all right, you can start drinking tea again. He said, I didn't ask why. I just listened. There's a thing you've got to listen. You've got to obey. You've got to do. Listen. Some of you folks wrestle with high blood pressure. You know who has a solution for that? The one who made your body. He's got a solution for it. He may come up to you and down in your spirit, he may say, start eating this. Really? I never heard anything about that doing it. Start eating this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Drink some more of this. Drink less of that. Eat more of this. Eat less of that. Do this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll do that. Just listen. If you don't, guess what? 
you've kicked in an override. And God says, I, I sent word to you. I was trying to help you out with that. You're there confessing. My blood pressure's going down. My kidneys are working. My brain's functional. My blood is, is uh, pure. <laughs> Whatever it is that you're, you're trying to do. And God will speak some things to you. And He'll say, take some of this stuff. Do some of this. He'll speak it to you. Don't sit there and say, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not getting into that. No, no, I'm just believing God. Just by faith, I'm just believing God. No, listen to Him. And if God says to do something, you listen to Him. Because direct disobedience to a word He speaks about your situation is an override to your faith. Don't disobey. Don't be like the children of Israel who said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Because some of these folks... The, came on in and they lost family members and they were out there complaining, oh God, how'd you let that happen? I told you. I sent the prophet out there. He told you, surrender. He told you, if you would have, you would have preserved it. You got to listen. Listen to what God says. How many of you in your situation, whatever it might be, high blood pressure, health situation, financial situation, how many can say, God has spoken something in for me to do? Dear Lord, no one? Boy, I tell you what, God's just got all shut up. If He's not speaking to you folks, and get on your knees and start praying in the Spirit more. Because he'll, he'll start speaking some stuff to you. Don't just sit out there confessing the Word of God. Get out there and get down on your knees. And just pray. Don't, and we're not, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. Don't just walk around and pray in the Spirit. Focus. I'm praying on the Spirit. I am praying in the Spirit. I've told you many, many times, my best study tool is praying in the Holy Spirit. Best tool. When I'm when I'm puzzled with a with a situation in the Word of God and I don't know where to go, I get down on my knees and I pray. And everything else is tuned out. Not listening to anything else. Everything else is, is tuned out, gone. The phone's on silent. The computer's off. And I just pray in the Spirit. Visualizing that one thing, for me, visualizing that that scripture, Father God, what is it? How is it? How can I see this differently? What's going on? And it, it quickens me. Pray in the Spirit about your situation, Father God. I thank you for the revelation. You're going to speak something to me. You're going to tell me something. Because we've told you this one principle over and over and over and over and over in the Word of God, that when the Word of God is spoken to you and you obey it, what follows? Power follows. Every single time it is tried. Every single time. In the Word of God, it was ever tried. Anytime anyone obeyed what God said, power followed. You need power in your situation? Get the Word of God. Get down on your knees, pray in the Holy Spirit. About that. Don't be walking around, taking a shower, doing dishes, praying. I mean, it's all fine to do that. That's fine. You can do that too. But I'm talking about taking some time. You just get down on your knees and you just pray about that situation. Just pray in the Spirit. And let God speak to you. God will speak to you. God will tell you some things. And when He tells you something, you go out there and do it. Don't sit there. Don't don't sit there. That doesn't make sense. I don't see how that would affect it. I mean, eat that? Really? Come on. I don't even like them that much. Don't question it. Listen to God. Obey Him. Because when you obey what He says, power but direct disobedience to what He has said to you is an override to your faith. Don't engage it. Don't get it going. 
Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you for the help that you give us. Well, Father, every situation that we are facing right now, people all around here in the room are facing situations, facing circumstances. Some of them are financial. Some of them are in the area of health. Some of them are the area of wisdom and understanding. Some are some family issues. Whatever it might be that they face. Father, you gave us a principle that works. Speak to this mountain. Say to it, be cast into the sea and it would be done. Father, I thank you that you speak to us the things we need to know, the things we need to do, that we can obey your word. We need to listen to your word. We need to hear what your word has to say. And the word doesn't seem to make sense to us. Go out there and surrender to the Chaldeans and you'll live. That doesn't seem to make sense to us, but Father, we'll obey and we'll listen and we'll do what you said to do. Thank you for the things that you speak to us, the things that you help us. And we will not engage and override to our faith and directly disobey what you have to say. Glory be to your name. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. Thank you for the help that is going on this week for the situations that we speak to. As we were worshiping here and your spirit was moving, oh, it was good to hear Phyllis testify how you healed her arm right there. As Brother Jolly came up and talked about how the power of God was at work. Oh, Father, we felt your power at work here. And other people are going to come and say, oh, the, the power of God came on me in this situation. I went home and it's changed. It's different. Glory to God. We look forward to hearing those, those testimonies. But Father, just as these folks tended to, to look at what was going on outside, well, we got Egypt here, we got Babylon here, and they just left. And they're looking at situations and, and building a faith premise, but it's false. We are not to build our faith on what we see, but we are to build our faith on the Word of God. We are not to build our faith on the things that we hear. We are to build our faith on the Word of God. And what we see in the Word and what we hear in the Word are things we can build our faith on. But what we see and what we hear in the world and in situations that we're in, that's not what we're to build our faith on. Father, we build our faith on You, on Your Word, on the things that You speak to us. Oh, we thank You for the help that You give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.